Good morning, Summit Church. Glad you're online here and my various feeds. Hey, will you do me a favor? Share this with somebody. Tell them that church is getting started in five minutes. It's Pastor Wayne H. Everywhere on Facebook, on YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, on my Twitch channel, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, all those various places. This is your five-minute warning. Hope you had a great Easter last week and uh, hope you can make it down here. Come in person if you can to 4240 North. North Perry Park Road, Sedalia, Colorado, 80135, or join us right here on the feed. We're going to start worshiping in about five minutes, so we're glad that you're along for the ride, and uh, God bless you, and we'll see many of you here in a few minutes.
Well, good morning, online audience. Good morning, Summit Church. Glad you're here. Would you stand with us and let's just open. We're going to sing this song called Who You Say I Am. You know, it doesn't matter what the world says about you. It matters what Jesus says about you. You know that? <laughs> so... These chords, by the way, all the lyrics are on the uh, touch-free song sheet on the end of the pew, so you just open your camera on your iPhone, and the PDF will open up, and uh, I believe this one's on the first page of the PDF, it's called Who You Say I Am. Who am I that the highest king would wear? I was lost, but he brought me in for oh, his love for me. Yes, his love for me. Whom the sun, whom the sun sets free, will his Child of God, 
some noise today. Yeah, yeah. So good to see your smiling faces, the smartest, best-looking people in Castle Rock and Sedalia today. You came to church. You weren't, you weren't scared? You weren't scared to come to church today? Oh, I'm so amazed. You're so brave. Good job. That's right. That's right. Levere's too. Levere's too. <laughs> Good looking. The best looking people from Levere's come to this church. Awesome. Awesome. Let's, let's open with prayer. Father, thank you that we have a joy that the world can't take away. Father, I pray that you would just meet with us today, and as we open your word, that we would find our hope and our strength and our power in you, God. We thank you that there's nothing that's impossible for you, that you're the God of miracles. And Lord, just even seeing this place full last Easter Sunday, it just, it just warms my heart every time I think about it. And putting up that new sign last night and seeing it all lit up and that, Lord, you've called this church to be like a, a light that cannot be hidden. A city on a hill, candlestick that should not be hidden under a bush or a bushel basket, but Lord, it should be shining for the whole world to see. And help us to be not only a church that does that, but to be people that do that. To be the shining love and the light of Christ for a hurting world. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, some of you are my, on my Facebook. I try to do a hymn a day on my Facebook. Some of you have seen it. And um, this morning, I think, uh, uh, it was called Kneel at the Cross. Or, and there was, a, there was a bluegrass artist who also wrote The Doodlebug. And <laughs> you know that, that some musicians do both Christian and secular music? You know that? And uh, we thought we'd pull up a good bluegrass song. It's on the second sheet of your PDF. It's called, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, I'll Be There. trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time will be no more and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair when the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore and the roll is called of yonder I'll be there when the roll is called of yonder when the roll is called up yonder when the roll Bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise And the glory of His resurrection share When the chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the sky And the roll is called of yonder, I'll be there When the roll is called of yonder When the roll is called of yonder when the roll is called yonder, when the roll is called yonder, I'll be there. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then 
church it just seems appropriate doesn't at least one bluegrass song should be anyway we're glad that you're joining us and you know we've got a new outreach event before we go any further you might you might have seen this you know this is a motorcycle town have you all noticed there's just a few motorcycles that come into sedalia we're doing this event on may 2nd called the blessing of the bikes all right so if you have a motorcycle, you know somebody with a motorcycle, I want to bring this out here and let's pray just a blessing over this banner and this outreach event. And you guys hold it and put your hands on it. And we're just going to pray for that. We're going to put that out by the curbside this afternoon. And we're going to pray that God helps us reach all those people, whether they drive motorcycles or not, with the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, let's, let's do it. Father, thank you, God, that you put this church here for a reason. It's not just for us to sing nice songs and study the Bible, but you want to reach people that go all up and down Highway 105, hundreds of motorcycles every week going up and down this road. Lord, I pray that as we invite them in for Krispy Kremes and coffee and prayer and some, some heavy music worship that day and, a, and just strong word from the gospel, I pray that you, you just give us souls in the kingdom, that people would come, even if they don't join the church, Lord, that they would hear about the love of Jesus and that they would know that this is a church that welcomes everybody, no matter where they come from, what their background is, tattoos or no tattoos, leather or blue jeans. <laughs> Father, we thank you that you have a plan for every person. So anoint this event as we ramp into it for the next coming weeks and help us to reach people that no one else could reach, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you don't have to hold it the whole time, but I thought we'd pray over that banner. You know, I believe that God is moving by His Spirit. The fact that we're in this building, right, and it's sad empty. We're talking to, I was talking to Ron's dad. He's been here in Sedalia for years. He thinks that this church may have been empty for about eight years. That there hasn't been any, any songs being sung in here for eight years. No sermons being preached in here for eight years. Isn't that something? And suddenly God brings a resurrection 
people worshiping and people studying the, the Bible. And people are going to get saved in this church. Amen, somebody? People are going to get baptized here. The gospel work will continue. And maybe it was paused for a little bit, but guess what? It's being rekindled. The well's being redug. The wells of revival are coming back to this little patch of ground. And we believe God's going to do something here. So this song is called This Is A Move, and I, I really believe every word of it. It's on your song sheet. Come in this room. 
saloon and O'Brien's and everyone here in Sedalia, Father, may they sense and know the love of Jesus. Lord, may we demonstrate God's love to everyone in 2021. We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. Hallelujah. I want to read from the one-year Bible for April the 11th. A highlighted verse comes from Luke 14, 33. And this is Jesus talking. He says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. All of me for all of him. All of me for all of him. See, Jesus gave us his all. And grace is free. Salvation is free. He offers it to us for free. But it doesn't mean it was worthless. It was precious. He gave us the very precious blood that forgives us and cleanses us from all sin. It's holy, right? And he, and he says, just as I've done, now you do. If anyone would be my disciple, you must pick up his cross and follow me. Now, picking up your cross is not what saves you. Jesus already saved you by what he did on the cross. Amen. But it's because we are, are disciples of his that we want to walk and live as Jesus did in this world. We want to say the things that Jesus would say. We want to do the things that Jesus would do. We want to think the thoughts that Jesus would think. And as we become better disciples, we'll become more and more like Jesus. Now, some of us get the lesson quicker, and some of us it takes years <laughs> before we figure it out. But I believe that, you know, the thief on the cross, he didn't have much time to be discipled. He was already hanging on that cross and he said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to go through a discipleship class. He didn't have time to join the church. <laughs> All he said was, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, good enough. Good enough. You believe, you're in. That's how salvation works. You get adopted into God's family and then the discipleship process begins. 
to become more and more like Christ. Amen. So what does it mean to be like Jesus? It's whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes to give Jesus total control, total surrender. So he says, without, without giving up everything, you can't be my disciple. It's how it works. It's the fair exchange. God gave us everything, so we give him everything. Amen. We got one more song, and then we'll get into the word today. You can, if you have a Bible, you can get ready. We're going to be studying John chapter 1. Um, but I love this song called Build My Life. I love the key words of this lyric, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. A lot of what's happening in the world today, it feels like everything's shaking, right? It feels like everything's uncertain. But when we put our lives on the foundation of Christ, Jesus said the foolish man builds his house on the sand, right? And when the rains come and the winds blow, the, the, the sand, the house built on the sand crashes and it burns and it's gone. But the house that's built on the rock, it's firm foundation. The winds can blow, the rains can bluster, and the, the, all the bad things can come around, but the house stands firm because it's built on the firm foundation. So let's sing that together. It's called Build My Life. It's on your song sheet there somewhere. I'm sure you can find it. On the, on the orange one. On the green one? All right, on the green one. First page. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Oh. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus the name. Jesus the name above every other name. Yeah. Jesus the only one who could ever say. Yeah. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Sing that again. Worthy of every song. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Yeah. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Oh. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus the name. Jesus the name above every other name. Oh, Jesus the only one who could ever say worthy. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Holy, there's no one like you. And holy, there is no
it is a firm foundation. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. And I will build. studying of your word today. Help us to be able to apply it right away to our lives. You see that maybe we've been looking at things the wrong way. But Lord, help us to see the world and life from a kingdom perspective. Begin to see ourselves the way you see us. To see others the way that you see them. Father, through the eyes of love and grace and compassion and understanding. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, will you do me a favor? Would you stand up and say hello? Maybe a fist bump, elbow bump, or just a wave. Whatever you feel comfortable doing. Greet somebody. And those of you in my online, greet somebody online. Hey, everybody online. Summit Church of Castle Rock and, and Summit Church of Douglas County. We're glad you're joining us today. Hey, we go to our website, mysummitchurch.com. You can click the donate button or you can mail a gift to Summit Church at 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado. Or you can text to give at 303-625-9434 and press send and follow the prompts using our smartphone. 100% of what you give 
by text will go directly to the ministry. We are so excited. Hey, give us a, go- uh, uh, a review on Google if you've enjoyed the ministry so far. It's a great way to support the ministry. If, even if you don't have financial means to support, going on to Google and giving us a, a five-star review helps the ministry and it helps people find us when they do a Google search or a map search for churches in Douglas County. So say hello to someone, share this link with a friend, and we will get started with the word here in just a minute. Okay, everybody. Glad you're joining us. Let's get into the Word. Turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 1. And as I'm, as I'm starting this study, I'm going to send around this clipboard today um, if you feel comfortable. If you're afraid of cooties, then don't do it. But they're, they're gone anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> the cooties are gone. Uh, a great way to communicate with a prayer chain or with what's happening with the church is through text alerts. And I don't, a lot of the old phone numbers I have for you guys are outdated or wrong. So if you want to receive text alerts for what's happening at the church, prayer bulletins, quick, uh, I promise no more than one text alert per week unless there's an emergency. But I'd love to have you just sign that. Give me your, give me your phone number. So we, and if you're willing to receive texts from the ministry, that would be a wonderful thing. And just kind of, we can build the community that way. Keep in mind, if you do a group text, other people can read it. Like last night, Kim and I and Ron and Maria were all in the same group text together, and Kim didn't realize it. So uh, just learn your hygiene when it comes to group texting with each other. You don't want to include people on intimate conversations knowing that there are lots of other people in your text group okay uh but i promised uh we we will not overuse the text alert and the prayer bulletin system but it is nice when there's a need within the church for the prayer chain for you guys to be able to share needs with each other and and to contact each other that way and so i just want to update our our texting group that way and um are you excited for god's word I always love to study the Bible, and I I love studying the Bible with you guys. And as I'm studying throughout the week and thinking about what to share about the readings and the passages, just so you know, the kind of the motif for how we're studying this year is I'm doing the whole New Testament. It's like a New Testament survey. So uh, Matthew through Revelation, five chapters at a time through the 52 weeks of the of the training the teaching year teaching calendar so on easter sunday we were john 1 through 5 and it was great we landed right there on john 1 1 in the beginning was the word was word was with god the word was god everything was created through him right what a beautiful passage to study on easter sunday well we're continuing our study today in john chapter 6 and i've titled this talk today wrong about everything Wrong about everything. Now, if you ever see a symbol like this, you ever online, you ever see a symbol like this? What does this symbol mean? No. It means no, right? 
It means no entry without a mask, or it means no smoking, or it means no something, whatever, parking. no parking, right? There's lots of no's that we get in this life, right? It's kind of the roadblock, like you're not supposed to do that. Like how many, even when pandemic started, you saw on park benches, they're like no sitting on a park bench, or they started chopping out the middle seats of a park bench so you could only sit on the edges if they had the two chairs on either end. It was so weird, right? And so they're wrong about everything. Wrong about everything. The, 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 the passages that we're going to look at today, John chapter 6 through John chapter 10, is we're going to see how Jesus shows that the religious mindset, mankind's view of God and religion, was just all wrong. It was all wrong. Like we, we thought God was one way and we found out he's another way. We thought religion was one particular way, but it was really something else. We thought Jesus came to be a conquering political figure to overthrow the Roman government. But we were wrong about everything. We're so wrong. And how many know that the best thing you can do if you're wrong is to quickly admit it and turn around and don't double down on being wrong? How many of you have seen people double down on being wrong? Or they, they, they lie and it's an obvious lie. You catch them in the lie, but they lie more to cover that lie. And it's so obvious that the first one was a lie. You're like, you're ridiculous, right? We see our, our politicians do it quite often. We see lots of people, public figures, celebrities. We see lots of people tell lies, right? Untruths. Wrong about everything. Wrong about everything. We noticed that Dr. Fauci, when he first started, he was like, hey, you don't have to wear masks. No problem. Every, only the healthcare workers need masks. And then a few months in, oh, wait, we all, we all need to wear masks. Okay, no, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong about the mask. You need to wear two masks, right? Wrong about everything. And, you know, and yet we shouldn't be too judgmental because I know that I'm wrong pretty often. In fact, uh, we were talking about, Ron and I, as we were building the sign yesterday, she said, one of the great secrets of being married and being happily married as a husband is just to assume you're always wrong. <laughs> just assume you're always wrong. Right? And then, then, when you, then when she's wrong, it's a happy accident. Like, wow, how did that happen? Amazing. And even if she never admits that she was wrong, you can smile and know that you were actually right. Right? Either way, we're all happy, right? Just assume you're wrong. And then if, if you just go through life assuming that you're wrong, like, wow, I'm learning all the time. I'm learning new things all the time. I have a teachable spirit. I can be wrong. Isn't that amazing? I reserve the right to be wrong. Right? <laughs> exactly. Right? I think the old saying was in the old days for the women was it was a woman's prerogative to change her mind. You know what that really was? It's just like, I reserve the right to be wrong. <laughs> That's what that really is. Right? I thought the dress looked good on me, but then I found out I didn't. Right? <laughs> so we're finding out from Jesus that we were wrong about a lot of things. And let's get into this study today in John chapter 6. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. We've seen this in the other three Gospels. And then Jesus walks on water. Now, what we don't see in these other Gospels is this teaching about him being the bread of life. The bread of life. Now, keep in mind, he just fed 5,000 people with bread. He's like, what a great illustration. These 5,000 people just got bread, free bread. And who, who was it that he was preaching to primarily? 
to Jewish people, right? And how do the Jewish people, how are they sustained for a whole generation between Egypt and captivity to coming to the promised land? Bread from heaven came down called manna. And Jesus talks about, I am the manna. I am the bread. Moses gave you bread from heaven, but I am the bread of heaven come down. Here's what he says in John chapter 6, verse 26. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one that he has sent. You really want to please God? You want to see a miraculous sign? Just believe. Believe in Christ. Believe in Jesus. Believe in the gospel. Believe in this new way. What were we wrong about, first of all? We are wrong about why Jesus came to earth. I'm like, well, if I just get Jesus, I'll, I'll get all my needs met. I won't have any more financial problems. I'll be able to eat all the time. I'll be able to wear whatever clothes I want to have. I'll be able to drive whatever I want to drive. Jesus is going to fix all my problems. How many know that's not true? Right? Jesus will do his part, but you have also have to do your part. We're wrong about everything. Jesus didn't come just to fulfill earthly needs. He didn't come just give you food. He came to give you a new Life to give you eternal life. We were wrong about why Jesus came to earth. And so he says, talking about that Moses gave you manna from heaven to eat. And he says, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you <laughs> bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Yeah, wouldn't it wouldn't be great if we just had unlimited supply of food. God just does it. I don't have to work anymore. I just, it just opened the fridge. There it is. Wow, everything I ever wanted to eat. Didn't you have to go to the store to get it? Just, Lord, just give it to me. Just free all the time. I don't have to do anything. That's not how it works, right? God wants to enter into a partnership with mankind. He does his part. We do our part, right? He's not the Santa Claus Jesus. He's, he's, the, he's the savior of the world, Jesus, who does offer salvation for free, but it wasn't cheap. Cost him everything. And he says, as I've given, just like as we read today, it's going to cost you everything if you say, okay, Jesus, <laughs> let's enter into this partnership, into this relationship. So he, Jesus continues here in verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes down to me, uh, comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. However, though the, the Father, those the Father will given, has given me will come to me and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of those who has been given to me but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. 
And I will raise them up at the last day. You know, it doesn't matter about what you've done. Even after you've come to Christ, he says, you don't come because you're good. You, you come because you've been accepted by me. Amen. Salvation is that free gift and you can't be taken away. It can't be snatched out. You belong to him. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not going to lose any of you. Maybe you feel lost. Turn to him. He'll help you. He'll strengthen you. And so there's so many theological arguments and, and convoluted questions around this idea. But if we would just keep it simple and trust Jesus. Trust Jesus for salvation. Trust Jesus for the daily grace to walk in truth, to have the strength to do what he wants us to do. And then Jesus makes this, this statement in uh, verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer to the world, so the world will live, is my flesh. So the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me. And I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way anyone who feeds on me will live forever because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, one of the most powerful symbols and the most powerful ordinances that we have in the Christian church is communion. With the breaking of the bread, the drinking of the, of the cup, it's a representation of Christ's broken body, of his shed blood. He's saying it's real. This is not just a conceptual thing, but it's, it's my literal body that's going to be broken. It's my literal blood that's going to be shed. It's my life poured out as an offering for you that will save you from your sins, that will give you the eternal bread of heaven. Isn't that something? And even though we understand it Conceptually, communion, the incarnation, the truth about Christ's body and blood, it's still a mystery to us. We go, how is it now? I mean, it's free, but it's not cheap. It cost him everything, and yet you offer it to me for free. And I don't have to do any, I can't pay for it? I can't pay for it. No, because it's already been paid for. Oh. So, receiving... I have it. Yes. What do I have to do to keep it? It's always yours. Wow. Wow. So if it's always mine, what a gift I've been given. What should I do about that? I guess I should follow after him. I guess my whole life should be about being grateful for who he is and what he's done. I guess he's a God worth following. I guess he's a savior worth knowing. He's, he's a God worth 
studying about and knowing and pursuing in prayer and, and, and trying to model his life and teachings and behavior. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just the rabbi. Although he is that, he's much more than that. He's the prophet. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the savior of the whole world. How amazing is that? And so when Jesus makes these statements about his body and blood, suddenly the 5,000 people that he was teaching to, like, oh, he's not going to, no, no, bread, no bread today? We're not, no, I'm not doing the, I guess we're not doing the bread today. No, he says we have to eat him now. Uh, later, I guess. We didn't know this was going to be some kind of cannibalism program. We're out. Got, got real weird there for a second. All the people left, and it was down to the 12 disciples. <laughs> Everyone's deserting Jesus, and even Jesus has a little bit of a maybe inferiority about like, oh man, everybody's leaving. Well, I guess they, that, was the, that was the message. That is the message. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, right? I mean, this is the redemption message. And when people really hear it, they're like, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't, I'm not sure I want to sign up for all that, right? I'm glad that God wants to give me everything, but I don't want to give him everything. That's still the, po the power and the, the trouble with the gospel today, right? <laughs> it's awfully convenient to get everything from God, but it costs me nothing. <laughs> they call it the cheap grace. We call it a gospel of of uh, no cost. Well, the gospel isn't cheap. It is free, but it's very costly. It's free for us to receive, but it costs God the death and the blood of his son. And so he turns to his disciples, are you going to leave as well? And, he's, and Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? You alone have the words of life. Peter knew, like, you know, what you're saying is kind of wild and a lot of people left, but well, I'm not going to go back to the fishing business. And my rabbi back in Nazareth, he doesn't even like me. So like you, you alone, Jesus, are the ones who have like, we're going to keep following you, even though it got really weird there for a second, right? We're sticking with you. And he says, that is why I said to the people, they can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. And so uh, Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. And he was speaking of Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. Jesus knew exactly who his followers were. He knew what their character was. And he still chose them. He chose them anyway. Knowing that one would betray him. He, even knowing that Jesus, that Peter would uh, deny him. Knowing all the faults and the failures and difficulties, he chose them anyway. You know, God chose you knowing all the ups and downs you would have. There's no surprise to him. He loves you with all of your difficulties and problems. And you know what? I bet if Judas had repented, Jesus would have took him back. He just wouldn't do it. We were wrong about, we were wrong about everything. <laughs> we were wrong about why Jesus came. Secondly, number two, we were wrong about who Jesus was. We thought, oh, he's the miracle uh, free lunch rabbi. <laughs> Jesus couldn't even convince his own blood brothers 
His own blood brothers in Nazareth didn't really believe that he was Messiah. They didn't really believe he was the miracle man sent from God. They were saying, hey, you know, Passover is going to happen in Jerusalem. We're all going to go. You coming, Jesus? And they knew that there was a plot to kill Jesus from the last Passover. He goes, come on, Jesus, going to go to Jerusalem? He goes, no, nah, uh, I'm not going to go with you guys. But then later he secretly goes. But his own brothers didn't believe in him. And we see, that's what we see in John 7, uh, verse 5. Even his brothers didn't believe. And then verse 10, Jesus begins, he secretly goes to Jerusalem on his own, without his blood brothers. He begins to openly teach the temple, knowing that there was a mark on his head, knowing that there were death threats against him, but he went anyway. And here's, after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus went and secretly stayed uh, out of public view. And the Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and they kept asking if anyone had seen him. And there was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued, he's a good man. But others said, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. But one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public. For they were, no one had that, the, that courage to speak about him favorably in public. For they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. So Jesus wasn't afraid to tell the truth. He wasn't afraid to speak publicly, but no one was willing to support him in those moments. And then there's a the big question about whether Jesus was Messiah or is Messiah. And that's still a question amongst Jewish scholars today. And yet we're seeing more and more Jewish people turn to Christ as Messiah. Who else could he be but the fulfillment of Isaiah 53? Who else could he be? but the root and offspring of David, of which Ezekiel and Daniel was speaking of. Who else could it be other than this one that was called the Christ? It could only be Jesus. And he lays claim to his Messiahship in chapter 7. We were wrong about who Jesus was. Verse 37 on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Jesus wasn't just a great teacher, although he was that. He was much more. He was the embodiment of, of God's very own Son, full of grace and truth, the Holy Spirit inside of him, embodying him. In fact, that's why the Spirit could not come in full measure until he ascended to the Father. Because God gave Jesus the Spirit without measure. Isn't that something? Verse 40, John 7 says, when the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet that we've been expecting. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem. Obviously, they didn't know that he was born in Bethlehem. So the village where, where King David was born. So the crowds were divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? 
And then the guards said to the high priest, we've never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. So even the guards were convinced enough not to arrest him. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. And then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing? He asked. And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and you'll find for yourself that no prophet ever comes from Galilee. Say they were caught up with their technicalities of where Messiah would come from. Instead of they should have been asking the deeper questions of where was this prophet born? Could he be the fulfillment? They were so entrenched in their own power structure that they could not be open to the idea that maybe God was going to move in a way that they didn't expect. They were wrong about everything. They were wrong about everything. It was their own selfishness that caused them to have blinders over their eyes as to who Jesus truly is. Who was he? God's very own son, embodied in flesh, a prophet, a priest, a king, the savior of the world, the perfect lamb of God who would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. Brings us to chapter 8, that famous passage where Jesus is confronted by the woman caught in the act of adultery. She's brought, probably thrown at Jesus' feet, naked. And what's curious is the man that she was with was not present in the moment, but she was. Probably some kind of sting operation created by the teachers of the law. And Jesus says that. He answers the question to these men. He says, first of all, any of you that don't have sin... You'd be the first one to throw the first rock. You throw the first stone. And each one, knowing that they had committed sin, maybe some of them had even slept with this woman themselves, dropped the rocks and walked away. And then Jesus says, Woman, where are your accusers? Where did they go? Are none of them here to condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Isn't that something? Jesus isn't condemning people. He knows that people have sinful lives and they make mistakes and they have problems and life gets complicated and difficult. He says, yes, it is a sin, but I'm not condemning you. <laughs> I'm offering you life. I'm offering you a way out. I'm offering you a way through. It was that woman who was humble enough that she could find forgiveness but it was the people who thought they were prideful and perfect that would not be forgiven. And he says, he speaks of himself. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness because you have the light that leads to life. And the Pharisees replied, you're making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. And he says, you know what? My, my father's a witness. The spirit's a witness. These miracles themselves are a witness. He says, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in, this, in that section of the synagogue known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. Number three, we were wrong about how God treats sinners. We were wrong 
about everything. We were wrong about how, how God treats sinners. The Pharisees, teachers of the law, even today, religious people think God is like, he's like that judge with a giant hammer just waiting to crush you when you mess up. That's not him. Jesus said, God is not who you thought he was. He's a loving heavenly father. He's not condemning you. He's just saying, come to me. Let me clean you up. Let me give you a new life. Just humble yourself and you will be forgiven. But stay prideful. No, God, I don't need it. I can do it myself. I can do it my own way. I'll figure out my own way, God. You stay up there in heaven and I'll do my thing on earth. Well, you stay prideful, then you will be condemned. We were totally wrong about how God treats sinners. He loves sinners. He's for sinners. He wants sinners to come. <laughs> Is there a judgment? Eventually, yes, there will be. But well, how could you reject the loving God who's done everything he can to make a way for you? That's not his fault. <laughs> if you reject him, that's a decision that you've made. The gospel is so powerful and it requires humility. It requires that we finally go, okay, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I've tried my best and every effort falls short. I've tried to be good. I can't do it. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need whatever help you can give me. And when you humble yourselves before God, you'll be forgiven, you'll be exhausted, you'll be lifted. But he opposes the proud. He stands against those who think, I don't need God. I'll do whatever I want. I'll figure out my own way. And you will not be forgiven. Why? Because you can't receive the forgiveness. You're trying to make your own way. And that seems so simple, but we were wrong about everything. <laughs> we're wrong about everything. God does not treat sinners the way we would treat sinners. He sees us completely differently than we do. And so he says to them again, I'm going away, you'll search for me, but you will die in your sin. You cannot come where I'm going. The people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? Where? What does he mean? You cannot come where I'm going. Jesus continued, you are from below, I am from above. You belong to this world, I do not. That is why I said to you, you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am the one that I claim to be, you will die in your sins. But who are you? They demanded. And Jesus replied, the one that I have always claimed to be. I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me. He is completely truthful. They still didn't understand what he was talking about with his father. So Jesus said, when you've lifted up the son of man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own, but only say what the father taught me. The one who sent me is with me and has not deserted me. And I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things, they believed in him. And then Jesus has this argument with the teachers and the, <laughs> the Sadducees about Abraham. And he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. 
Jesus is saying it's about being adopted into God's family. It's not about religious performance. <laughs> because how many of you have kids? How many of you have kids and they've made mistakes? After they've made mistakes, did, did, did you disown them as your children? No. Did you give them some advice? Yeah. yeah. Did you try to help them clean up the mess they made? God's just like that. He's a loving Heavenly Father. He doesn't disown his kids. And so verse 52, the people said, Now we know that you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham, he says, Before Abraham saw and was glad when he saw me coming. Like, You're crazy. You're not even 50 years old. And you say you've seen Abraham? Of course Jesus had seen Abraham in heaven, in the afterlife. Right? And they said, now we know you're possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. And if I said otherwise, I would be as great, great as a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. And he said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. And at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them. He left the temple. Somehow Jesus just disappeared. I don't know how that happened. Like maybe a big crowd, he slipped away, or maybe he just disappeared. It's amazing, isn't it? Chapter 9, we're getting through it here today. We were wrong about everything. Number 4, we were wrong about who was blind. We were wrong about who was blind. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a blind man who was blind from birth. Rabbi, the disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming when no one can work. But while I am here in the, in the, in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he spit on the ground and he, with the saliva he made mud packed it, put the mud on the man's eyes. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he received his sight. And this whole idea of blindness becomes a theme of this chapter. And when Jesus heard what had happened, they, 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 they begin to interrogate the man who was born blind. Like, who gave you the sight? Like, I don't know. It's Jesus. Like, he's a sinner. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. And then when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and he asked, do you believe in the son of man? And they answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshiped Jesus. And then Jesus told him, I entered into this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show to those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing by nearby, they said, are you saying that we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied. But you remain guilty because you claim that you can see. Again, it comes down to humility and pride. 
The humble person says, I'm a sinner. God, I need you. The prideful person says, I see everything very clearly. I know everything about everything and no one can teach me anything. A person who's prideful will not receive what God has offered because they won't turn and repent. They're spiritually blind. Jesus was right and wrong about, we, we, were right, we were wrong about what blindness was and Jesus showed us how to get spiritual sight. Comes just like that man received his vision. I don't know who you are, sir, but whoever you are, I'm, I'm gonna listen to whatever you got to say. <laughs> I was blind and now I can see. Son of man, okay, that's who you are. You were good enough to give me my vision back, so you're probably worthy enough to follow, right? And we get to chapter 10 and we'll wrap it here. The good shepherd and his sheep. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and they come to him and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And after he has gathered his flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me, who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. When we went to Israel the first time, Kim and I were able to go into a kibbutz where they have sheep and goats and donkeys and a dairy farm and wheat fields and like this giant complex. It's like a, like a ranch, but a, a Hebrew ranch. And there's this man named Menachem who helped us make uh, hand fry bread with goat cheese. And if you've ever had bread straight off the grill with melted goat cheese, oh, it's, it's quite delicious. It's a, a, like you'd never think that that would be good, but it's really, really good. I was able to put a sheep on my shoulders. You, you can go on my Facebook wall and see me dressed up like an old you know, Testament shepherd with a, a lamb on my shoulders. And... Menachem has, uh, he, he has these little herds of sheep. And he was like, you know, you know, he has these little things that he does to pull the sheep around. And he was showing us a sheep pen of the biblical times. And you know, most sheep pens in the old times didn't have a gate, especially at night. And the shepherd would count the sheep and he'd pull them into the pen. And then he would just sleep in the gap of the fence. The shepherd was the gate. Because if a sheep tried to get out in the middle of the night, you could just grab them and throw them back in the pen. Jesus says, I'm the gate. I'm the gate for the sheep. You're my sheep. I'm the shepherd. My sheep know my voice. There's an intimacy between the sheep and the shepherd. And the shepherd knows how to pull us back in when we start wandering off in the wrong direction. And then he continues with this whole idea of being the shepherd. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, they know me. Just as my father knows me, I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. 
I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold, speaking of the Gentiles. Since I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down and when I want to and can take it back up again. We were wrong about everything. Number five, we were wrong about what Jesus came to do. He didn't come as a political figure. He didn't come as a military hero. He didn't just come as a prophet. He didn't just come as a rabbi. He came to be the shepherd of the sheep, of the true flock. And he puts his claims on being the son of God. Verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my father's hand. The father and I are one. Skipping to verse 29. Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. He went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John was first baptizing and stayed there a while. Many people followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another, but everything he said about this man has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. We were wrong about everything. We were wrong about everything. And Jesus was right. <laughs> we were wrong about everything. He was right. He was right. Why did he come? He came to be the shepherd, the root and offspring of David. And it brings me to my favorite psalm of David. Some of you have it memorized, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and my cup runs over. All right, I miss the surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? I want to read that passage from the New Living Translation and we'll wrap. Here's, what, here's how it puts in my particular Bible. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. You want to have a friendship with God? You're not going to get it through religion. You're not going to get it just through trying really hard and studying a book. It's going to be by knowing the shepherd. God created us to be with him. We're made in the image of God. We're made for a relationship with God. And our sins separate us from God. We know that. That's why we avoid the things of God in church and Christians when we're far away from God because we feel guilty. 
And sins can't be paid for by doing good deeds or you know, trying to be a better person. <laughs> That's not how any of it works. Paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and he rose again. And everyone who put their trust in Christ can have eternal life. And it starts the moment you say yes. And it lasts for all eternity. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, it's a simple prayer that you pray. There's nothing magical about the prayer, but it starts the relationship. It begins the ownership exchange. You begin to sign the adoption papers with a prayer like this. Would you pray this prayer out loud for those who might be praying it for the first time? Say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that God raised you from the dead. According to the scriptures, please come into my heart Forgive me of my sin. Be the Lord of my life. I was wrong about so many things. But I'm glad that you're right. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me here today. What a, what a great word. I love God's word. Love studying it together. Love worshiping with you all. It's awesome. Um, I invite you just to, if you want to be a part of the ministry, you want to partner with us financially, the tithe and offering bucket is in the back. If there's any resources in the resource center you want, just uh, make yourself, avail yourself of all that. If you're a Venmo person, you want it, you're going to donate that way as well. Um, one free way, like if you don't have a way to support the ministry financially, one way that would be really be helpful for the ministry is if you'll give us a, a Google review. That helps, that brings us up in the search results on your smartphone. And if people are looking for a church in the area, the more reviews we get and the more positive reviews we get, the more it helps the ministry, it makes the church more discoverable online, <laughs> if that makes sense. And again, uh, hopefully that text alert uh, clipboard went around. So everyone, if you want to be a part of the prayer chain or you want to get weekly updates of what's happening in the ministry, that would be awesome as well. Uh, mark your calendar next with, by next Sunday or even before, I'll have a bunch of the hand invitations for the Blessing the Bikes event. And so if you want to be a part of that, come early. And, you know, I'm just praying that a whole bunch of motorcyclists just starts flowing in that day. And we offer them a free Krispy Kreme and some coffee. And, and uh, oh, you, you, we can pray over their bikes and pray protection over those guys. I know that driving a motorcycle can be a little dangerous, right? You know, I've heard the, the statistic that 50% of motorcycle accidents happen in the first six months of people driving. So it's a little scary. I've done many hospital visits in the ICU with motorcycles. So prayer of protection is a great thing at the beginning of a riding season. And who knows, maybe some of those folks will actually come in and be a part of our church family as well. So I think that's all I've got today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face just shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you, lift your countenance and give you his peace. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Have a great week, everybody. Shine and show the love of Jesus everywhere you go this week. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in today to the ministry of Summit Church and the daily outreach of Wayne Hansen. You can support our ministry in many ways. Click the donate button on our Facebook page, Summit Church of Castle Rock. Visit our webpage, mysummitchurch.com, and click the online giving link. Or mail your donation to Summit Church of Castle Rock, 200 South Wilcox Street, Box 243, Castle Rock, Colorado, 80104. Or finally, text your gift 
the 303-625-9434 and follow the prompts using your smartphone. You can also support us by connecting with our online community. Comment, like, share, follow, and subscribe on our various social media channels. Of course, we appreciate you joining us in daily prayer. I'm Sean Rima, and on behalf of Pastor Wayne and the Summit Church family, take care and have a great week. Remember, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life.